Well, uh, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that we have started a new series, uh, and we're going to be jumping into a new thing. But uh, the word new uh, can take a lot of different contexts. But I'm sure you've probably heard the term before, new and improved, right? Does that term bother anybody else, or is it just me? I don't know if you've ever thought about that phrase, new and improved. I know I've uh, had the conversation before how uh, I don't like uh, when people use uh, either sayings. I, I know back in the day, and ever since I've done it, I, now I have an ear for when people say uh, certain phrases the wrong way, like, uh, it was in the last place I looked. Yeah, duh. Why would you keep looking if you found it? Or uh, m- one of my uh, biggest pet peeve ones is, uh, I, I could care less. Like 95% of people say that one wrong. It's, I couldn't care less. If you could care less, then that means you care a lot about it. And that there could be a level less that you would care about this thing. But uh, in my experience, most people say, I, I could care less. Uh, instead of, I couldn't care less. Um, And to me, new and improved has always been one of those sayings. Either something is new or it's improved. It can't be both. You can't have new improved. Or so I thought. If you don't know this about me, I can get a little fixated on things. And so when in my preparation for this sermon, I went down a little bit of a grammatical research hole on this one. Uh... I lost a few hours of my life uh, that I will never get back. And I found out that this statement isn't technically inaccurate. My whole life, I've uh, argued about how ridiculous this is. But uh, for instance, this last year, I purchased the Samsung Galaxy S22 Plus. It's a mouthful. Uh, but it's, a, it's a, one of the new Samsung phones. It's a new version of the Samsung Galaxy phone, but it also has improvements from the previous version I had. So it is both new and improved. And so it does actually make sense. It is a new and improved Samsung phone. I originally wanted to use this to talk about our position after salvation. I had this great idea of of exactly how I was going to preach it. Uh, I was going to pull from 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And I wanted to argue that that we are not new and improved, that we're only new, as this verse indicates. God didn't just improve upon what was. He created something entirely new. Now, this is absolutely true, just as this verse indicates. We are a new creation. There is, uh, there is truth to us being absolutely new, but there's also truth to us being new and improved as well. So if you were with me uh, before when I said how ridiculous this new and improved statement is, it might take, hopefully it doesn't take you three or four hours like it took me to get around to understanding that new and improved works. Uh, 
because we are a completely new creation. But what God did was he took our former selves, our former state, and he adds the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, if you don't know this, I hope you do, uh, when you become a Christian, you become a new creation, but it's not like you're superhuman, okay? Uh, in, in reality, uh, basically who you are doesn't change a whole lot. The only thing that changes is now you have the Holy Spirit. You yourself are not superhuman. You don't have the ability to heal people. You don't have the ability to do miraculous signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit does, and now He dwells inside of you, and that really is what the change is. It's not that you have become this brand new, you know, human plus. That's not how it works. Uh, you are new, uh, but He has vastly improved upon us by dwelling within us. Almost as if, uh, again, using the analogy, uh, I bought a new Samsung phone, and if nothing else changed except they put a new processor in that made it you know, way, way better, then it could also be new and improved. But um, what God has done is He's created us anew, but He has improved upon the human condition by adding the Holy Spirit to it. So now we don't have to operate from a human standpoint. We don't have to operate from the same list of priorities and the same uh, power we operated from before we knew Christ. So that in and of itself, if you haven't lived long as a Christian, is a vast improvement. Uh, it's totally new and a way better way to live than before we knew Christ. But see, after we come to know Christ, this, this became my dilemma, is yes, we're new creations, but after we come to know Jesus, we still have the same families. We very likely have the same job, very likely the same triggers and temptations and bad habits. So while we are new creations, we're also improved versions of who we were. In a moment, everything changes. We go from the old to the new, but a lot of the old tries to hang on. And so that's where I guess my mind came around to, okay, we're new, but we're also improved because now we go back to many of our old situations, but we go with a brand new context. We go with a brand new ability, and that's the ability of the Holy Spirit within us. Because now we're no longer slaves to our own sinful natures. Christ entering the picture has changed everything for us. But for new life to take hold, it means there needs to be a death. You can't have new without the old having... You have to deal with the old. Uh, how many of you like to plant? You like Whether it's gardening or farming or some type of planting, okay... Uh, you're invited to my house. Um, you can just deal with that situation altogether. Uh, you don't even have to let me know what you're doing. Um, no, but uh, I, I heard a really cool analogy a while back, and, and it, it's really cool. If it, you can Google this, go down that rabbit hole yourself. Uh, but this, the, Jesus uses the seed analogy multiple times. Um, he uses that uh, more than once to indicate what it's like to be a believer. And, and it's really cool because you put a seed in the ground and basically what was has to die. 
And then out of it is birthed this new life. And, uh, but first it has to be buried, similar to what Jesus was. And out of that uh, being buried, the seed, life begins to form. But it takes a period of darkness and death in order for that to occur. And for some of us, especially if you came to know Christ later in your life, you are very well aware of what that Uh, old to new looks like or what it certainly should look like Um, that old life needs to die and for some of us that came to know christ later uh, we had to walk through those seasons of death as we put to death some things that just could not uh, weren't congruent with a new life. Now, like I said, uh, you came to know Christ, very likely you kept the same job. Uh, I understand there are some situations where you might need to change your occupation or your job because now you know Jesus. But quite often, we go back to the similar context that we came from, but the way we talked, the way we acted, the people we interacted with, a lot of times that stuff needs to go. Our old life needs to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. Oh, we went past it. Uh, says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So I guess the, the first question I have for us this morning is, what does it look like for the old life to be gone? Have you thought about that? How much uh, of your time uh, after you came to know Jesus did you focus or, or think about this idea that now the old life has to go? I think some of us, we just think, oh, if I just hang out with Jesus enough, magically everything will just happen. Uh, everything will just get better. And those of us that have walked with Jesus long enough know uh, we have to put some effort in here. Um, the, the Bible, the, the Scriptures clearly indicate we are to make every effort to walk with Jesus, acknowledging at the same time that he's really the one that ha- empowers us to do all the things, but we've got to put some effort in here. We have to uh, put the effort in of, of sometimes ending relationships, uh, making it clear to our coworkers or our family that, hey, that old person, that's not me anymore. I'm a new creation, uh, and I have new priorities. I've got new everything. It's similar, and I was trying to figure out how to word this so I didn't get myself in trouble. Uh, It's similar to how uh, our individuality dies when we're married. I didn't want to say, um, you know, dying is like getting married. Uh, So I I didn't want to say that, but I did it anyhow. So, uh, but it is, again, Jesus uses the analogy of marriage also with the kingdom of God because of how similar it is. When I got married, single Bruce died. I could no longer go back to bachelor Bruce. Uh, that's not who I am anymore. I now have a wife. I have, now I have two kids. I have a family. Um, there are those moments or periods of time when like Jackie will take the kids to New Jersey and I get to act like I'm a bachelor again and, and I get to focus on just myself and um, I can sit at home and I, it's weird. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but um, I'll be sitting like maybe wa- catching up on a TV show or something and I just get this moment of panic like everything's like really quiet and when you're a parent, that's like scary. And more than once, I like got up off the couch when Jackie was with the kids in Jersey and like, okay. There's no kids here. I don't need to be worried that it's so quiet. Um, But it's weird to kind of go back to that because that's not who I am anymore. When we got married, 
that individuality died because two people became one. Now there's a whole different dynamic because we can never, or we should never, just focus on ourselves anymore because we are two now. One of the things I talk about in, uh, when I do marriage counseling or anything like that is there's no such thing as a you problem. It's a we problem. Regardless of who caused it, regardless of who's more at fault, we like to like percentage those things out like, well, this is like 80% her problem. No, this is an us problem. You might have a problem with the way that you're doing something, but I also have a problem with the way that I'm reacting. And so it's a we thing. Two people become one. There's a death of something old that happens in marriage but a birth of something new. You know, we have a little sign in our house that says, you know, the Ward household established in 2013. That's a truth. That's a reality. Something new began that day when we said, I do, and we were married. A new thing occurred. But for that to happen, something old had to go. We give up the right to live for ourselves, and we, we make vows to make somebody else our priority. It can easily be argued that before you are married, you are your own priority. But when we get married, I hope you've decided this other person now comes before me. I put this person first, their needs, their desires, their dreams, their wants. I'm going to make that a priority. In a similar way, when we're saved, we step off the throne of our hearts and our lives, and we allow Christ to sit there. We ask for him to sit on the throne of our lives and say, even beyond a marriage capacity now, I'm asking you to to be the center, to be that which I worship for the remainder of my life. It's so far beyond even the marriage context because now we're saying not just a priority, but you are the priority in my life, Jesus. And I want you to take the reins, take control. You sit on the throne now. I don't. My kids don't. My wife doesn't. You do, Jesus. You're on the throne of my life. Our life becomes about Him, not us. About His kingdom, not ours. Our lives are lived for Him, not us. There's a reason that we are commanded to be saved and then baptized. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we had a a baptism service, and I I always love baptism services. There's so much symbolism in baptism, but there's a reason why we're commanded to be saved and then baptized, which there are some, uh, I don't want to call them denominations, religions where you are baptized early in life, way before you could possibly be saved, um, which just doesn't make any sense at all because of what baptism is supposed to represent. Uh, In Romans chapter 6, we get an idea of exactly what this represents. It says in verses 3 to 8, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. 
If you don't know, that's part of baptism. Why we choose uh, the submersion form of baptism is because of the symbolism of us going under the water and being buried and, and, and dying, and then we come back out. Usually, hopefully, you come back out of the water, and uh, you're raised to life again is, is the symbolism of that act of baptism, which is why we're not just improved. It's not as if the, the Scriptures don't give this idea that what God did was He took you and he basically just jammed the Holy Spirit in there, and now you're just an improved version of who you were. That's not at all what Scripture says. As a matter of fact, it says, what was died. You died with Christ, and then you were raised to life again. It's why Christians got the terminology born again. I'm born again because I, was, I died, and now I've been raised to life. We are new and improved. We are new creations, but we're improved from what we were because now we don't live this powerless slave life to sin we have the holy spirit we are entirely new creations but god did something special with us the difficult part about this new life is there's this temptation to go back to the old if you've not ever experienced that uh, you must not have been saved for very long because what happens is we come to know Jesus and everything is really great. Um, Again, especially for those of you who came to know Jesus a little bit later in life, uh, you had enough time to live a little bit on your own and to to experience that powerless, hopeless life. Then you come to know Jesus and it's like this whole new world opens up and it's super exciting. But then like the stresses of life start to hit and we find ourselves sometimes going back to old coping mechanisms, old structures, old systems, because it's what we're comfortable with. Have any of you ever gotten a new and improved phone? You've gone through the trans... Have any of you ever gone through the transition from like one operating system to another? You've went from like Apple to Android, uh, or I don't know why anybody would, but Android to Apple. Uh, you've, you've made that transition. I'm going to take every shot I can at Apple phones. If you haven't realized that yet, I always try to. Uh, or even just an upgrade in a phone. Uh, when you get that upgrade, uh, you've experienced a similar tension to what we're talking about. When you, do, when you do get it, it's so different from what you had that you just wish you could go back to the old one. Have you, anybody, any of you ever experienced that? You get the new phone and you're just like, I just want to go back to my old phone. I just don't understand this new phone. I know uh, my brother had broke his phone a while back and he, he tried to deviate from the Samsung line of phones and he went with a different one and that lasted like three hours. And he took that thing right back because he just could not deal with the new, figuring out the new. Um, I have witnessed, you might be one of these people, and I'm not making fun of you, I'm just acknowledging a truth. Uh, There are some people that walk around with their old phone and their new phone because they just haven't figured out how to do some of the stuff they knew how to do on their old phone on the new phone. And so they carry them both together because it just makes their life easier because everybody wants to carry around two bricks, right? We just enjoy that. Why do we do that? Uh, literally all you got to do is sit down with somebody who's tech savvy and patient and they can teach you how to use that new phone and it's going to take some work uh, and I've experienced this Uh, people they will carry both of those phones around until the old one literally stops working 
And then they are forced to figure out how to do things on the new phone. And then they figure it out, but by then it's about time to get a new phone. So then they go through the whole process all over again. Um, but I also know people who have upgraded their phone and then put the new phone in a drawer and just reactivated the old one because they're just, they're just not having it. They'd rather have the older, slower phone that just doesn't, you know, doesn't do some functions at all because it's older. Uh, and they just went back to the old. Why? Because it's a lot of work. And I acknowledge that. I'm a younger person and I'm, I'm tech savvy, so I like new things and I like getting new and figuring out new things. That's just one of the things I like to do. I know some of you just aren't like that. You really don't. There's a lot of tension there. Uh, some of you are holding on to old things that, I mean, are barely making it, but you just do not want to make that switch to something new because of the stress that's involved in that. Even though you know the new is better, putting in the work of relearning everything can be quite the challenge. Uh, I acknowledge that. Uh, I, my wife has a MacBook. Um, any of you that have the Apple ecosystem, you know um, one of the selling points is user-friendly. It's not. I can literally build a computer, and I cannot figure out how to use that thing. Uh, not user-friendly whatsoever. Uh, and I just haven't decided to relearn. I don't. I know how to use Windows. I know how to use it really well, and I just don't want to relearn something new. And so uh, some of you are in that boat uh, where you know if you got the new thing, it could improve your life. It could make things easier for you. Uh, but putting that work in is where the tension lies. Like, I really don't want to make that jump. I don't want to commit to that. And I think this is so relatable to our new lives in Christ. We have to relearn everything. If you don't know that, then newsflash, as a believer, we have to relearn everything because we now have Jesus at the center of everything. And so everything we thought we knew how to do, we must relearn how to do it with now a new priority, with something new at the center. We don't just add Jesus to things that we used to do. He needs everything. He becomes the center of everything now. And so we have to relearn how to do it, or we just end up living that Jesus plus lifestyle, where it's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, so now I, I'm, I'm this and I just kind of add Jesus to it. I just put a Jesus spin on it. That's not choosing to relearn everything now as a believer. See, before we knew Christ, everything was motivated by self-interest and sinful priorities. We can't get away from that. That's just the truth. Paul sums it up, um, this transition, uh, when he's talking to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 to 24 it says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. If you've ever had to renew something, it's a process. It's not an instantaneous thing. It, sometimes it's easier to just replace something than to renew it. Um, if you've ever had, I, I, I know my sister-in-law likes to renew old furniture and things like that and, and, and to redo them. And it, man, it is a process because first, what do you have to do? You have to strip off the old. 
That's part of renewing, as stripping off the old and then redoing it completely with all new material or new finish or new whatever it, it would be. But there's a stripping of the old off to renew something. And so it is a process. If you've ever gone through some of these processes in your lives, whether it has to do with work or family or just dealing with stress or whatever, is stripping off the old way of doing things. Because we used to do it this way, but that was motivated by sinful desires. It says lust and sinful desires are are what motivated us before. And so we have to strip that stuff away. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to renew, to add something new to our way of doing life. This is vital to living new life that we have in Christ. It's not a one-and-done process, but it's a progressive work that continues for the rest of our lives. As long as you'll journey with Jesus, this process will continue to happen. Uh, It's one of the unique things about being a Christian is if if I were to give all of you a 1 to 10 rating, rate yourself 1 to 10 on how how well you're, how righteous you are, or how close to Jesus you are. Almost to a T, those that rated themselves higher will, be, will have walked with Jesus less. And those that rate themselves lower will have walked with Jesus longer. Because it's like the closer we get to Jesus, the more we realize just how broken we are. It's, it's the, the closer uh, you put the true article to the forgery, the more you can see the differences and the discrepancies. And so the closer we get to Jesus, we realize, man, I, I thought I was really close to looking like Jesus, but the closer I get, the more I realize, man, I'm just not nearly as much like him as I thought I was. And so we constantly are, are being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2 talks about this process as well. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You ever wondered how you learn the will of God? It's by this constant renewing and transformation that occurs as we journey with God, as, as He transforms our minds as as we develop a new way of thinking. New life means a new way of thinking. Have you ever tried to change the way that you think? It's pretty easy, right? You just make a decision, you move forward, and you start thinking that way, right? If only that was the case, it would be great if you could just decide to think something or to to think a certain way, and then it just happens, huh? What it actually takes in reality is a lot of intentional effort over long periods of time to change the way we think. It's one of the blessings of spending time with someone who has walked with Jesus for a long time because it's, it's like their Jesus lens encompasses everything. Like they can't talk about anything without talking about God because they've spent an entire lifetime of this renewing process, this transformational process of, of viewing everything through the lens of Jesus and it's like it, it, he just permeates and soaks into every facet of their life. And, and, and then there's somebody who has just walked with Jesus for a little bit, and it's like they can talk all day about other things, and then, oh, yeah, and then Jesus. He just hasn't infiltrated every corner and part of their life yet. 
This is a process that will just continue to move on, and it's not like we can just decide today, you know what, I'm just going to start thinking like Jesus, and we walk out, and everything changes immediately, and everything's just golden, and we never have a problem. We never slip up and, and get mad in traffic or anything like that. It's just, it takes years, lifetime of constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. If you want to change the way that you think, if you want to engage this process, might I suggest learning more about Him every single day through His Word and spending time with His people. It's one of the reasons why as people age, you know, people make fun of uh, maybe an older couple who they start to dress alike and they have a lot of the same mannerisms and they act a lot alike and they talk alike. Uh, Why? Because they've spent a lifetime with each other, around each other, hearing each other talk, seeing each other interact. The same thing happens with Jesus. It's a relationship with Him. And so the more time we spend with Him, the more we start to act like Him, the more we start to think like Him, the more we become a, a, a mirror image of Jesus. Colossians 3, 9-10 to says, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Do you want to think like God? Then get to know your Creator. How much of your week do you invest into learning about God? If Sunday is the most that you learn about God in a week, my argument is you're not doing it right. This, this is like an addition. This, to me, this is like a rally point for believers as we come into church and we get to celebrate the good things God has done. And, and certainly my, my goal is to encourage us in our walk. But it, it's not my goal to do your spiritual teaching for the week. Uh, if this is the only time that you eat spiritually, then you're going to be starving by tomorrow. If, if Lunch, you say you go out to lunch after church and you have lunch and you decide not to eat again until tomorrow at lunch, you're probably going to be a little hungry. Why? Because you need constant nourishment. Spiritually speaking, it's no different. Uh, If you now, some of you have developed a habit where you only eat like once a day. I know of people like this. And what starts to happen? You start to not really get all that hungry except around that one time of day that you eat. And so some of us have actually gotten into the habit where, spiritually speaking, we actually don't get that hungry throughout the week. But if we miss church on Sunday, we start to notice it like, oh, man, I missed my spiritual food for the week. Or, or pastor didn't preach a sermon that, I, I, that really fed me, and so now I'm mad because I, I, that's my one meal I get during the week, and, and he messed it up. Like, what in the world is that? We are to be every day consuming more material and getting to know our Creator, spending time with Him. If, if I only spent an hour with Jackie, my wife, a week, but then the rest of the week I thought about her a lot, what's going to start to happen? I'm going to start falling in love with a version of my wife that I have created, not who she actually is. It's going to actually take me sitting down and listening to what she says and seeing her interact with people and and dealing with situations and see the way she interacts with our children to know what kind of mom she is and seeing the way that she interacts with me and other people and the way she worships and the way all of these things, I begin to know so much more about her. 
There are many Christians who spend an hour a week with God and then think about Him all week, and they wonder why the God that they've created in their mind just never lives up to their expectations. It's because you've not fallen in love with Jesus. You've fallen in love with your version of Jesus. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to learn more about Him all the time. And literally, there's no reason to not because there's free software, there's free books, there's, a, there's so much material now that we have as believers that we can consume to, to learn more about who God is, to fall more in love with our Creator. We need to create space time that we can just be with him for me you know creation being out in creation is one of those i have to create space for me to be out in creation and sit on a river or or you just be in the woods or something or take a walk outside and spend time with him and quiet my life down that i can hear from him and same is true for my marriage if you've been married for any length of time you know You have to create time for each other to be together, to spend time talking, or else you just get so caught up in the machine of life that you go a whole week and think, man, I don't think I've talked to my wife once this week. I've not actually connected with her in any way because we've just been so busy. We've talked, but we haven't connected. And sometimes that's the way we get with God. We talk at Him, but we get so caught up in what we're doing that we're not talking to him. We're not letting him speak. We're not letting him interact with us. It just becomes these quick prayers of, oh, I got this meeting, Lord, help me you know, to, to do the right thing. I got this test coming up, you know, make my mind clear magically. And we just have these like, little prayers we shoot out to him, and, and that's just our relationship. And, and again, if you've been married for any length of time, you know that if you just like, shoot out things to your spouse as you're running like, about your life, that gets irritating pretty quickly. Uh, uh, because they, what do they want? Hopefully, your spouse, they want you to connect with them. They want you to slow down and make them a priority. And our relationship with God is, is similar in that capacity. That's what God wants from us. He wants to be our priority. He wants us to slow our lives down and make space for Him to intentionally create time to be with Him. I know that's both of, my wife and I are, are, if you've done the five love languages, we're both quality time. And so we both appreciate it when we create, intentionally create space to be with one another and to spend time with each other. But if Sunday is the most that you get throughout the whole week, then you're not investing in that relationship well because one time a week is just not enough. Now I know that new can sometimes be scary. If I were to say to some of you, uh, well, today you have to go get a new phone. Then you're immediately going to start to have some anxiety because you're thinking like, oh, I don't want to learn a whole new thing. Uh, I don't want to have to do this. Or if they were to make some big announcement today uh, that Windows was no longer going to be a thing and everything was going to be Mac, um, some of you would be happy. A lot of us would have a lot of stress because it's like, well, that's a whole new operating system. We have to figure out all this new stuff. Or uh, if, if your spouse were to say to you, hey, we have to move. Uh, I just got a job in New Mexico, and we have to move to this whole new place. For a lot of you, that'd be, I'd be a lot, because new everything, new circle of friends, new uh, lots of things. New can be scary. Some of us are better at change than others. My, I've experienced in, in, in my marriage, uh, you can 
put me down anywhere in the world, and I'm going to just take off running because I love new. I love change. I love new. Um, my wife is not quite as excited about new as I am. She does really good uh, at it, but there's a lot, of ten- lot more tension for her with new than for me. Each of us is different. Some of you, you would love that if I were to say, I'm just gonna, you're going to get plopped down, and you've got to live somewhere for a week and make it happen, uh, and we're not going to tell you where you're going. You're going to get super excited about that. Some others of you, you're, there's no way you're signing up for that because you don't want that. You change new. It's just difficult and scary. But we all must learn how to live as new creations in Christ because if we don't, then we just go back to the old. We just carry that old life along with us just like that person that carries their old phone along with them and they constantly resort back to the old because it's just less work. No matter how uncomfortable it is or how much work it is to relearn ways of thinking and operating, for us to experience all the new things that God has for us, we're going to need to relearn ways of thinking, develop new attitudes, new priorities, new ways of doing everything because the center of our life has drastically shifted if you think that you before jesus uh, is close to who jesus actually is uh, then you might not understand what i'm saying but to reorient everything from sinful me to now holy righteous god everything changes every priority every way of doing things has to change because now we do everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of our priorities change and shift to make Christ the center, but it's all worth it to be a part of the new things that God is doing. Isaiah forty three nineteen says, For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers and the dry wasteland. See, there's this cool thing about God in that while He is the constant creator he never changes for some reason he chooses to constantly change the way he does things you see that in the life of jesus how many times does he heal a blind person the same way he does it in so many different ways just even while he's here on the earth he heals people in in multiple different ways because he just doesn't want us to get caught in a rut i'm reading a new book right now called canoeing the mountains and it's all about how lois and clark were traveling across the u.s and they thought they were going to find the headwaters in missouri and they're hit with the rocky mountains and it's so new and so different they have to change everything about their approach and how true that is for leadership that's the whole book is about how we have to learn how to adapt and for too long the church has said well changing is compromising we're just going to write it up like that and we're just not never going to change anything instead of understanding that just like god the message always stays the same when jesus healed someone it was always about god it wasn't about the method he made it clear by constantly changing the method one time he just speaks another time he spits in some mud and he puts it on their eyes and just different ways and methods to show us the method is never the vehicle, the only holy vehicle that brings Jesus. He is what is important. He is what we should focus on. Constantly being, holding our methods with open hands saying, Jesus, you are what's important. And I'm willing to change everything to keep you at the center. 
in our new series, we're actually going to be studying through the book of Colossians. It's going to be a study straight through the book of Colossians, and we're going to focus on the new life we have in Christ. If you've never read Colossians, it talks a lot about the new life we have in Jesus because we need to learn how to embrace our new life in Christ. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you've never truly embraced your new life, if you've just been operating as a Jesus, as a person plus Jesus, and you've just kind of been tagging him onto things instead of reorienting everything to make him the center, then now is the best time to start the transformative process that Romans 12.2 is talking all about and being transformed by the renewing of our minds, which as Scripture says and as we know is a stripping off of the old. It's painful. It's a lot of work to strip off the old. But man, is it so worth it. Because as if you've ever done home projects and you've learned uh, the hard way that you should have stripped off the old before you added the new because you do all the work of adding the new and then what starts to happen? It starts to peel off and flake and do all these bad things because you didn't do the work of stripping off the old. And some of us experience that in our Christian lives where we just tried to slap on a layer of Jesus and we realize that's just not working because man, is it a mess now. And now it's more work. Because now you've got to strip off the new and the old to put the new on a fresh surface. And so that's the process we're going to be talking about as we go through Colossians. So you have homework. Uh, If you've ever done uh, what's called an expository series with us before, um, it's so beneficial to read the chapter that we're going to be studying the following Sunday multiple times. So my encouragement to you is read Colossians chapter 1 every day this week. And then as we talk about it next Sunday, it's going to come alive a lot more to you. I think it will take you three, maybe four minutes to read through all of Colossians chapter 1. So it's very easy to do every day this week. So that's your homework. Read through that. And then we are going to dive right in to Colossians chapter 1. If I can give you a tip on your homework, go to a website if you are a computer person uh, or you have a phone. Go to Bible Project. Uh, We did that reading series last year uh, through the Bible Project and just search Colossians. And they have a great overview video that gives you the whole overview of the whole book uh, and really gives some good highlights to Colossians. So I encourage you, try that out. Um, But also read the book of Colossians. And another homework tip, because I love homework. I don't love homework. Uh, Never really did much of it. but change the version that you read it in every day uh, this week. Read it through at least three or four different versions this week. Um, I know you probably have your favorite like I do, uh, but I encourage you, uh, if you don't have multiple versions of the Bible just, and you have a smartphone, just download the YouVersion Bible app, and there are like 20 different versions of the Bible there. You can read uh, with that. So um, that's your homework and that's your encouragement. But also, be asking God this week, what does new life look like for me? What is something old that you want to strip away so that you can do something new in my life? What is an old way of thinking, an old way of operating, an old system that I've been leaning on and not putting in the work of relearning a new thing that you want me to do this week? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have done a new thing. Lord, I thank you that we're not just improved versions of us, but we are new and improved, and that you constantly seek to do new things in our life, 
that when, however long ago it was that you brought us to your kingdom and you saved us and you made us new, um, you have even new things that you want to do in our life today and you'll have new things tomorrow you want to do. And, and Lord, I just thank you for this awesome life that you, you've called us to, that is constantly being refreshed and renewed as we are transformed and as we think more like you and as, as we become more like you each and every day, Lord, uh, the joy that is found in this life. And Lord, I pray right now for those who, uh, whose faith has become stale, whose faith has become uh, an obligation and feels more like work than joy. Lord, I pray that you would renew them, that they would begin to take steps again toward you to experience again that abundant life you've called us to, that your joy would overwhelm them and they would again experience what it's like to walk with you because it's only as we walk away from you that we begin to think living as a Christian is, is a chore or it's work or uh, that it doesn't hold joy in it because Lord, every moment with you is joyful as we draw closer and closer to who you are. So I pray blessings over our people this week that we would draw closer to you, that you would strip away the old and we would experience more of the new each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and experience the new life God has for you.